and we are live what is up everyone welcome back to the balance meal podcast series and tonight's episode is another segment of the we were in a cult where i talk to a former members of the icoc and we have a conversation about what all that mess that we were in was talk about the good the bad the ugly and just trying to figure out and get our finger on what it was that we were in and for this episode i have john go ahead and say hi john hello thanks for having me roy hey man i'm really glad you're here I'm glad that uh, people want to come on and talk about this i'm i'm glad it's you know you and i go way back which is bananas and uh <laughs> it's just funny that yeah it's funny that we're adults now <laughs> Yeah, I mean, funny, weird, strange. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I remember you in my mind as always as an adult. Uh, <laughs> because I was always the kid at that point in time. So, yep. yeah. I know. This is, um, it's weird that you say that. And I think I'm sort of, you're not the first one that's ever said that. I'm just kind of getting used to that. But I mean, I was definitely not an adult the first time I met you. I was probably like 13, 14. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. So, yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't even say that I'm an adult now, but whatever. So who who can, who can determine that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as always, first question. So were you a kingdom kid or were you met? Uh, I was a kingdom kid. Yeah. I have spent a majority of my life uh, in the ICO scene and part of this church. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure that my, I think my mom got baptized in like 89 uh, up in the North or either in North Carolina, something like that. And then my dad got baptized in 92 uh -huh. around the same time that uh, my brother and I were born. Okay. So we have been in it. Yeah. You were in it from the beginning. Yeah. So like, what was, what was it? I like, I like to know, I like to ask this too. Like when I say God, like as a kid, what came, what comes to mind? What came to mind when you were I mean, a kid? Yeah. I'm going to say the same thing that everybody else does is like what we were taught, especially in like in the kingdom kids classes and stuff was like, God is our father. Yeah. Uh, I did really find it. I found it hilarious. Um, I think it was last week's episode um karen was calling sky daddy sky daddy um, yeah <laughs> i thought that was hilarious but yeah i mean we always looked at god as like a father like he's just mm -hmm. watching over all of us taking care of us that kind of thing um which it, it just it, it it's interesting um and you know i'll say this when it came to thinking about God, the father, or as a father, I had to, you know, we would equate him to our own dad, that sort yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but for when I was growing up, my dad was pretty mean. Um, he was angry. I know that a lot of my friends were like very scared of him. Um, mm -hmm. and I knew my dad as like the hand of punishment as an adult now, like we have a much better relationship. You wouldn't even like, you wouldn't even think that there is any issue between us because I love my dad so much, but I've had to take a lot of growing um, yeah. as an adult. And so is he. But when we were kids, I knew that my dad was punishment, consequences. So I equated that with God. God was punishment. God was consequences. People can say that God loves you 
And that may be true. Like someone like my dad could say he loved me and that would maybe be true. But in my yeah. brain, all I'm thinking is God is the God is punishment. Um, so and I like when this on even in the Bible, like uh, in the little Bible stories, like all the things that God was angry about, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to all the great things that happened. Do you think that that focus affected like how you lived your life? Or, you know, with regards to like, there's somebody watching over me and is going to punish me, but you know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know that I put a lot of thought into that as a kid, of course, because it's mm -hmm. more, that's a pretty complex thought for yeah. a child. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think, I think I did grow up with a lot of fear, um, like not like healthy fear, like fear of the Lord, but like just straight up fear of God yeah. in general. Mm -hmm. So that did follow me a lot through my life, yeah. But it's a very common thing for people to compare God to their to their dad. Yeah. You know, I think if you have a dad that's loving, then you don't, you know, God is loving. If you have a dad that's, you know, like you're saying that, you know, punishment, then that's what God is. And if you've never had a dad, then it's just a very hard concept for people to even understand too. Yeah. <clears throat> so so like but you're 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 growing up in this and and like churches it's just that's it's life right yeah that's that's your home that's your world we were so ingrained in it mm -hmm. always doing things always going to cookouts always going to people's houses and bible talks yeah i mean i remember when we were in preschool there were probably like four or five other um other kids in west cobb uh, like our friends who were also in the church at the same preschool. So it felt very much like we always did stuff together. There was, yeah. that was the culture. It was just, if you had friends, these are all your friends from church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you maybe have one other friend who lives in your neighborhood, but most of your friends are always from church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so was it, was it good in the beginning? Yeah. I mean, I would say it was, um, it's definitely a lot of culture, excuse me, to be grow up, like to, to grow up into because of how complex and vast the ICOC is. Mm -hmm. So I mean, like I remember, I like I have memories of um, our Congo services. I have memories of Deeper Shade of Soul. Mm -hmm. I have memories of us. Like I know that a few people have mentioned. I have uh, memories of the hotels we used to go to for yeah. service. Um, and you know, like now, whenever I'm driving through smyrna around like two or like 285 and i see the galleria i'm like oh yeah we used to meet at the galleria a whole bunch and you know <laughs> we used to go we used to go to the the waverly where they had all those like small candies and, oh like, yeah the waverly with the candies yeah oh my gosh that's a memory right there yeah so i mean i have yeah i've got a lot of memories i've got a lot of memories of just like like making friends with people and, you know, once again, seeing all the same people almost on a weekly basis mm -hmm. and like having little play dates and stuff. And, you know, I have three siblings, so maybe we didn't need as many of those, but, uh, you know, parents, <laughs> when you've got four kids, you're going to want to pawn them off on anybody else if you can. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah, I was telling someone that like for us, it's hard to think of like a single place 
for our church, like, you know, you know, a lot of people, it's like, oh, I had this traumatic church experience and there's the church. Like for us, yeah. we had all these meetings and all these hotels and conference centers. It was like, it was almost like our cathedrals were the hotels, you know, and yeah. like these things, you know, and you were always playing around in them. And then we, yeah, I think maybe it was after the letter or like in between, like we start, like when we started going to Life University to meet up. Yep. Uh -huh. church and then i think the letter came out while we were there and then that's when things started getting crazy i mean of course it, it, it all got crazy the letter changed so much yeah man like wow you know <laughs> life university i remember meeting there a few times um that's funny yeah we never we never had a place never yeah. had a place um i think that like do you that's something where I think of like positives. You were, you thought of, you were talking about the friends and yeah. you were just always around these people, you know? Yeah. And for a while it just felt, I don't know if this was like this, but I don't know. I, I love that. I had this community to some extent. Yeah. I know in the beginning when I was like a kid and being around all these families and y'all's family and other people's families, it just felt like a community. Yeah. I think I think looking back on it now, it's not something I could I appreciated or could have appreciated because it's always yeah. Um, so, and obviously being being very sheltered and kind of being naive, I assumed that's what everyone else's life was like, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, but they were just in different circles, and we just didn't know each other, that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. of course, that's not the truth. Uh, yeah, I, I distinctly remember thinking it's just so weird that people didn't do this. Yeah. Like, what do you mean nobody like does this or other people don't do this? I mean, this just feels like that's what life is. Right. And then come you know? to find out we were the weird ones. So, <laughs> man, I love that you mentioned Deeper Shade of Soul. That That's another, I mean, those choirs, man. Yeah, man. I remember I do. I think my parents took my siblings and I to the Roxy for mm -hmm. one of their uh, live recordings. That was intense. It was. I bet it yeah. was. I I remember feeling so happy when I got the live CD. I got to buy it. And it's so oh, yeah. My parents still have both of those CDs. I don't I think know. it came out on cassette, but yeah. I think we, yeah, we still got those CDs somewhere around my parents' house. Yeah, it was it was cool for me because it was like I knew, you know, all these bands come through there. And I was like, our choir went there. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> So like, um, so did you stay through it in the teens? Um, yeah, um, I stayed. Oh, sorry to interrupt you. I got to remember to just like, let no, it's fine. Sentences. It's fine. <laughs> I was just um, going to say, did you, you know, do you go through with the teens? Did you just, you know, when and all that stuff? Because some people I talked to, like their parents left and they came back and stuff like that. Just. Yeah, I mean, I I left probably in 2021, so all throughout teens, all throughout campus, even to the singles ministry or young professionals, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, I was in it, yeah. And so when were you like thinking like the whole studying the Bible, I'm getting, I want to get baptized, all that stuff? How did that come about? Yikes. Uh, yeah, so... Um, I think that came, well, that came about because uh, I think when I was 14, I was having some sort of argument with my parents and mm -hmm. basically doing like the, the um, moody, angsty teenager of like, nobody understands me, that sort of thing. 
Um, and then I came out to my parents. Um, I came out as gay. And that conversation wasn't nearly as bad as like other horror stories you've heard. My parents like, we still love you, but here's the ultimatum. You need to get baptized because we're assuming, or at least with what, you know, at that time, they didn't have the resources. Like we've mentioned, they didn't have the resources. My church, the church didn't have the resources, but my parents assumed that would fix me. So wait, so hold on, just Paul. I I'm just want to make sure I heard that right. So you had an argument with your parents and you came out. Yeah. That's as you were arguing with them. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember what we were talking about, but yeah, that's what happened. Okay. And so you're 14, you tell your parents that you're gay, and then they decide to baptize you. Or not <laughs> not baptize you, but you need to get baptized. That's gonna fix you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did it fix you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, well, there's I don't a, want to make light of that's that. That's a question for my therapist. Uh, but the answer is so, <laughs> so, man. So you go through the studies, knowing that that you're gay, and knowing that like there's no one. I think that's the biggest. That there's two things that that strike me when people have mentioned about like coming out and this is one. There was no resources. Yeah. No one knows what to do. Which is which is scary for the people that want to support you, but also scary for the person because they're like, there's nothing here. And and then it's that whole mindset that this one thing's just gonna fix it all. Yeah. You know. I mean, it was it was kind of terrifying. Um, because after that conversation I had with my parents, we never talked about it again. Okay. It was just kind of like this blanket. This is what you need to do. We love you, but this is what you have to do. Um, so I mean, eventually I I say I want to I, I want to say I took it seriously, but more of like I had enough fear built up that I was like, oh, cool, I have to do this. Um, so going through the studies, I think, yeah, my brother and I did them at the same time, um, which I don't know, probably wasn't the best idea, but you know, it happened. Um, and I just remember you know, obviously, like for a lot of people, they're wondering whether or not you're serious. They wonder whether or not, like, mm -hmm. you're just doing this because your friends are doing it or yep. because you want the clout, that sort of thing. You want to be important, um, which I was having a lot of imposter syndrome about. But in my, like, in the back of my mind, I was like, this is my only chance. Like, I yeah. have to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so I was always super afraid that, you know, if we get to the next study and I wasn't, paying attention enough or I wasn't serious enough that they would stop. And I'd be like, crap, that's it. Like, that's it. That's the end. Like catastrophizing every scenario I could think of. Um, it, was, it was so hard to show that feeling of showing that you were serious. Yeah. That is, that was really hard even for me, you know, cause Cause I had this feel, I always had this feeling of, I better show them that I'm serious or they're not going to believe me. Yeah. You know, making sure I cried at the right times, making sure that there was something that I was saying, it was like the right thing to say. And I, I can't even begin to imagine what it was like with you having these feelings, you know, of who you are and still trying to get through this to, Oh, damn. Yeah. I mean, I had to shut a lot of myself off for that. Um, like, 
I mean, well, it's, it's funny. I just, I, that's what this is. This has been really therapeutic. Uh, it's because of listening to other people's stories, especially about like, you had to go through the cross study and cry. So you knew yeah. that people like, so they knew that you, uh, that you, that you felt it. I don't remember whether I cried or not, uh, but I only had to do it once. So that. Yeah. Lucky was... you jerk. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. It's. It's I just say that because I think if there's what people are going to think of me is like, he's still pissed off that he had to do the cross study three times and he's still mad about that. He's <laughs> no, man, you're, you're good. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous in general. Um, but you made it through this yeah. requirement. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of outward, the outward signs, you know, that's what yeah. they were looking for optics. Um, but you got baptized. Yeah. I mean, yep, I did. Um, and I thought that they were going to suss me out. Like I, that was a thing, like when it came to doing the sin study, of course that's intense because you have to write down your whole like freaking list of sins, quote unquote, yeah. you committed, uh -huh. and then like talk about them to the people who are studying the Bible with you. And I don't know if you had to do this, but when I was getting baptized as a teen, there was also this expectation that we would have to share that list with our parents because if you were to get baptized, your parents aren't just your parents. They're now your brother and sister in Christ. Um, so not only are they like legally obligated to take care of you as parents, but also spiritually obligated to help take care of you. They're going to be your main disciples, that sort of thing, um, because you still live in their household. Wow. Uh, they, they talk to you about that? Yeah. What a weird thing to think about your parents being your main discipler. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never made it. I didn't make it that far in the teens. Um I got so tired of all the work that I gave up um and then I came back in campus and got baptized and so I didn't have to show them that I did have to I did have to tell my boss I worked at Publix and then and I had to tell him that I had stole three things. That was my repentance in order to do that. And that oh was pretty, gosh. that was pretty weird, but, uh, but yeah, you made it through. They didn't, they didn't catch you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it, it didn't help that I lied through the sin, like, you know, sure. omission, mm -hmm. lie by omission of the sin study. Like I was never going to tell anyone that I was gay, of course, because <laughs> one, it wasn't safe, but also two, I was like, this is, if this is supposed to fix me and this is not like, and this causes me to stop studying the Bible because I just feel irredeemable. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. So were you thinking that the baptism was going to take the feelings away at any point? Yeah. Yeah. I originally thought that the baptism would clear it all up. Like everyone wow. talks about baptism as being this magical moment in their life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when they're doing their sharing, they're talking about like, you know, the trigger words, like I hit rock bottom. Um, mm -hmm. And then they're talking about like, what's been happening through the studies and how it's been changing their life, all of that stuff. And I just assumed because of all the baptisms that I've seen in all my life and all the people, my parents were a shepherding couple. Mm -hmm. So they had a bunch of new disciples coming over to our house, like every Sunday. I remember that vividly. Um, so they would continue like meeting up with, uh, you know, with, with new converts, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. And I just remember hearing a bunch of their stories when we weren't like locked away in my parents' room uh, to, to as kids to not uh, interrupt them. 
but everyone talking about how magical, like just how, how incredible the experience of getting baptized was. And like, so you you thought you were going to come out straight. Yeah. 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 I thought, I thought that I would maybe come out straight or at least it would start to change my feelings a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it would be a gradual thing. Uh, Obviously that wasn't the case. And it took yeah. me almost a decade after that to realize it. But so, so your brother was doing it at the same time. So did mm-hmm. you like have the studies? Like, were you sitting next to him during these things, or was it separate? Yeah, for the first, like, I want to say for the first two to three, maybe four studies, um, we did them together. And then the further we got in, we had to do them separately, of course. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I think I think the no 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 yeah, yeah um I can't remember yeah I know that at a point because neither of us were willing to um to confess to our parents um during the sin study I think we took a few months off oh uh, wow till we were until we were ready to do that and have that conversation because of course if we if we didn't do that we weren't serious enough that was you know so you confessed to your parents all your sins. Um, not all, but I mean, of course, no, yes, yeah. yeah. you made sure, yeah, smart, but, smart. Yeah, I mean, we, but some of them, and it's stuff like I feel like there's a decent amount of it. My parents already knew, like, I'm living in their house, it's not like I'm really much that I can hide to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can tell them that I'm cursing at school, but like, you know, they probably heard stop doing that, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know. Um, so yeah. Yeah, the whole sin part was tough because when you're doing it as a kid, it's like, what have you really experienced? Not exactly. many of us, not many of us have experienced that much stuff. Um, I remember one of the worst studies I had was because I confessed that I got in an argument with my mom over some shoes, and I end up crying in that study because of how bad they made me feel because I argued with my mom over shoes. Oh, but God. it's like. That's the worst thing we did back then, you know? We were so shut away from everything. It was, you know, we weren't exposed to things. They made you feel like an awful person over shoes. Yeah, because my... I'm not surprised. Because my mom got me these shoes, and they turned out to not be the ones. And I'm like 15, so of course I'm going to react. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was tough. I can't believe you had to confess that to your parents, man. Just... Oh, it makes me feel so weird. Yeah, super uncomfortable. But, you know, it all worked out. I got baptized. Um, So, yeah, but I mean, I came out of the water. Um, I think we were going to, we were in a hotel, like, right near the airport. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's where we were meeting. Um, And I came out of the water, and immediately my first thought was, I am exhausted, and I want to go home and not be around people. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was mental health issues, but at the time, everyone's like, are you so excited? Like, you know, like, aren't you like, don't you feel amazing? And I'm like, I don't want to talk to talk to or see another person for like a good 24 hours. I want to wow. go home and take a nap. I have school tomorrow. Like I'm and finished. Cause, cause it was a spectacle. So of course you're in the front. Of course there's the big talk. You're in the front of everybody at church. Right. And then there's probably the big, cause whenever it was like our, a dad and a kid, it was always more clapping and so much energy. They were so psyched about that. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, because my brother and I got baptized on the same day, they waited oh, until after man. service uh -huh. um, for like people to come around the pool, that sort of thing. So it wasn't like a, you know, we're holding up the line on the service kind of kind of deal. Um, Talk about like, just like, I, the only thing I can come up with is just like, this is going to sound really, but like Christian porn, like theatrics. It's just this idea of like, we've got two sons on the same day getting baptized. No, that's wank bait for them. I'm, I'm yes. telling you. They're just like, yes, yes. People's heads are exploding in the back. You know, they're like, I could just, and I don't want to make, some people were so psyched because they were feeling, they were just so pure hearted about it all, but it was just yeah. such a big thing. Oh man. It's it. I mean, it truly was a spectacle. I think mm -hmm. some of the, the, I mean, and I don't even want to rank them. It feels terrible, but some of the best baptisms I've been to or been included in were very intimate. Mm -hmm. Just a small group of people. It didn't need to be like this. Oh, Hey, we got like, we have to get them in front of the campus ministry. We have to get them in front of the church. It's like, yeah, we did it in a Creek at like 2 AM or, you know, we did it in someone's pool and there was maybe like 10 people there. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's when it felt like, okay, this is an actual, someone's having an actual personal relationship with God and not like the entire congregation having to watch you go through this very intense, um, like intense marriage covenant with yeah. God and have everyone around, like kind of like it would be a wedding like that. On You don't need that, especially when it comes to declaring your your utmost like love and loyalty to God and to Jesus and like, and it being about your salvation, you know, mm. that like, then maybe you want to share that with people, but that's so intense to yeah. do in front of like a group of a few hundred to like a thousand folks. That's oof. Yeah. I think as much as I think the, the church needed it to be a spectacle, um, that's what gets people psyched about doing this and being yeah. a part of it. Um, people needed it to feel that encouragement. You know, they, they're probably, you know, you're seeing people doing the same thing you did. It takes them back to that moment. Um, but every church that I've, and I've, I've been to so many churches outside of our church. Uh, it's always like that. It has yeah. to be, it almost like it has to be a spectacle. Right. A lot of times now you, you, you get baptized in a special t-shirt behind a backdrop. Oh, That's no. something now that people do. And it's the like, lights have to be blue. It's all mood lighting. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. The, the lights come down. The worship team is, you know, has a great song that they're about to, you know, kick on. <clears throat> and it's, it's, I, I wish that it was moving for me. But maybe it would be like for you, it's just not. It doesn't move me like at all. I just I see all of the other things. Yeah. I think it I think it depended for me, uh, because there is a part of it I'm like, this is a celebration of a new life. That's sure. that is incredible. Mm -hmm. But to think about how intimate it is in front of a whole group of people, like I know that they needed that. I know that that was meant to be a celebration as a family. That is the context of the church of the body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. whatever you have um but excuse me sometimes i feel like there are things that are okay not being as um 
not being as advertised, not being so heavily he heavily marketed yeah. in front of the church because this is about your personal relationship with God. Like mm -hmm. that is always going to be intimate. Well, hopefully it's always going to be intimate. Um, but the culture that we have, you know, the further we get into it, it's not about you and God. It's about you and this group, uh, this group of people. And yeah. hopefully you're somehow meeting in the middle with God. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those things where I think about like, whenever I think of the most powerful times of me with anything spiritual or God, it's always been the intimate ones. Yeah. It rarely ever has it been even in a church service. Like you the know, Starlight Devo is a camp. Mm -hmm. Like oh. those are always so great because yeah, like we're sitting there and like, you know, Jeff is probably giving us a little bit of a sermon, a lesson. People are praying, we're singing, but it is just like, you can shut all that out and just look at the stars and be with God in a field. And you know, that's, mm -hmm. we need more of that. Man, it's so funny that you said Jeff, because when I said Starlight Devo, I think Sunny, and oh, now there's right. and now and now there's a Steve, and so it's like it's so wild to think of that. But but yeah, this those those Starlight Devos when you're sitting in the field just looking up at stars, and you know Sunny used to talk about if you got into a golf cart and drive to the different planets, how long it would take. Yeah. He used to say things like that. Or we watched the, did they watch the video indescribable where it had that preacher talk about if the earth was the size of a golf ball? I'm yeah, I am familiar with that one. So maybe we did it. I think so. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that was always, it just, it just blew, it just blows your mind and there's no one around, you know? It's a beautiful thing. Even the uh, singing devos. Out in the woods. Yeah, man. Like it was kind of, it was like, yeah, because it was an optional thing. You had to wake up early enough to get to it. But when yeah. you're there, mm -hmm. it's just so it's so intimate. It's just it's small. You don't have to worry about other people around you. I mean, you're gonna be self-conscious. We're teens, you know. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's it's a special experience being around less people doing something where you are actively connecting with God mm -hmm. in a sense by yourself. Yeah. I'm really great that that I I I'm always grateful for the camp for that that we had those moments. It kind of took a little bit of the sting away. Yeah. To have a place that was in the woods that was away. It was a bubble, you know. But uh, but yeah, the intimate times are the most powerful ones. Yeah. So um, so you get baptized. You um, you're in the teens. I mean, what was that like? Knowing that you're one way. I mean, you, you know, and then right trying to be what you think you're supposed to be. Um. You know, I mean. It was difficult, but, you know, I have really bad, you know, really bad habits, like most people do, of shoving your emotions away. And, you know, in high school, with high school being so intense, you know, I was um, in like the gifted AP classes trying to overachieve. I was in marching band full time. So that's where my focus was. What'd you um, play? Have to, 
uh, I played clarinet. I played oboe in, you know, like in concert band, but I played clarinet uh, when I was marching because, you know, if okay. I broke my reed on the oboe, I'd probably die. Yeah, uh, of course. So, <laughs> yeah, I played the alto sax in the marching band. Nice. Yep. Woodwind family, man. Shout out to the marching band. Best times <laughs> of my life. I don't care what people say. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was also kind of like a family, really close knit. We, you know, mm -hmm. we're meeting gosh, like three three times a week after school and then we got football games on Friday nights. Um and then, you know, we're doing competitions as well, so we were most like we had a competition band too. Um so competitions would happen on Saturday um or we'd have like rehearsal for a competition on a Saturday and then the next week we would go um and it was yeah it was a major time commitment oh um, yes it was oh yeah to the point where my teen leader <laughs> mm -hmm. my teen leader uh basically i don't know if i want to call it an accusation but basically it was like it feels like you're making marching band your god and i was like this is a commit this is an extracurricular that i'm committed to dude um like you wouldn't yeah. say this to your like football trophy dudes because that's also a huge commitment for them so oh you're striking a nerve with me oh yeah. you're hitting yeah of course they're not going to tell the football players that or you know oof, oof. they can lift the football players up in front of the church and be like yo look at look at what god did he like helped them to win um all throughout the season or through this championship and I'm like, yeah, my my band won uh, at like at a southeast conference in first place for a few things, and they're like, no, no one cares. They're not going to ask about like. That's always so hard. Watching those kids get lifted up like that, you know. Yeah. It it showed it it showed that like for me sometimes I never wanted to say it, but it showed me that. The church was just like the world, you know? Yeah. Oh man. But man, band was tough. You were doing all those things, trying to remember, trying to play the music, trying to remember the steps, trying to do all that right. stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is, it's a sport. It was athletic, but it's also very mind engaging. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why there was so much commitment. Cause you had yeah. to be like, you know, you've got a, you've got like a hundred other people also relying on you to make something beautiful. And if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, it is super obvious. Oh yeah, I I tripped one time at a show. Ooh. I was I was wearing a I was wearing Jinko jeans. It was a rehearsal. It wasn't a show, but I was wearing my Jinko jeans and I put my foot in one of the the legs and it just I ate. Luckily, I didn't land on my instrument, but. Uh, that was it was just it was bad it's yeah. even it's even crazy to think about like oh god i fell but at least i saved my instrument mm -hmm. um like yeah i may be soaking wet from the rain but at least i saved my pads yeah, on no. clarinet so they don't have to get replaced because that's so much money so so did you say that to the teen leader like would you say this to the football guy or just in your head that's what you thought that's what i would say in my head because yeah. obviously it's ingrained in you that you're not supposed to talk back. You're not supposed to question things. You're supposed to like, as a disciple, you're supposed to be a yes man. Of course. Yeah. Um, so did you stop or did you, were you just like, I mean, I don't know what you wanted to, I don't know what you want me to do. 
No, I mean, I I kept going. I was like, yeah. I I might I like there's a possibility I'm gonna go to college for music. Like I'm I'm in this band. I'm in marching band, but I also have concert band and I'm in choir. So, like, I'm good at music. This is my gift. This is my talent. I didn't put it as much work as I possibly could for this just for someone to say, well, you're not honoring God with that. Or like, it's taking too much of your time away. Mm -hmm. um, like, what do you, like, what do you mean? I can't be honoring God with this. I'm putting my entire, like I'm putting a lot of my time and focus into making something great, working as hard as I can. Like, how is that not glorifying to God, you know, and mm -hmm. using him as my strength instead of being like, yeah, I mean, well, no, I was always exhausted. It was just a bad time, but also trying to attribute what I have to God. Like, how is how are you going to say that that is me putting something that God is helping me doing over him you know mm -hmm. um so i mean it didn't stop because i was like i'm 3 years into this and this is my like i'm going into my senior year to do this and i'm not i'm not about to to drop it because you think that i'm making this my god you know and i assume your parents were supportive of you being in marching band and doing yeah. this and all of that yeah. Um, because probably someone talked to them about it, or maybe they did. Generally, that's what would happen. Yeah, I'm not sure to be honest. I think, mm -hmm. I think even my parents' mind, it was, you know, this is a part of the thing that the church, the church teaches you, which is really negative. One, a part of the, like the shame. Mm -hmm. um, anything that you do, um, could be wrong. A big thing with my parents is like idle hands fall into sin. So, you know, we had to be occupied. I had to, I had to be productive all the time. Really? Some of that came from my insecurities because I felt like if I wasn't overachieving, then I had no value in my family because mm. I was gay. But also it just kind of felt like this is, if I can commit myself to something that keeps me out of trouble, you know, yeah. or it, you know, it, it shows, it shows other people that I'm, you know, it's always, when you're high school, it's always about getting to college. I don't want to go yeah. to college but I had to. So it's like, this looks better. Like, you know, I'm taking all these classes, busting my butt, maybe not getting the best grades, but still trying. And I'm also in like this heavy commitment activity. That looks great for colleges, or at least it should, it used to. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, they were supportive of that, but I think there was always the twinge in there of, you need to be doing something. We don't mm -hmm. just want you coming home every day and doing nothing, like getting saying you're going to get your homework done and then watching TV, that sort of thing. Um, so I mean, yeah, that was in, in high school, the only days that I wasn't doing marching band stuff, maybe except for the occasional Saturday was when we had church. So mm -hmm. I was occupied. Yeah. I, uh, I know that like for us, there were things that I couldn't do if it, if it, um, happened to be on a, it would happen to be on a day that we would be meeting for church. I mean, there was, I wasn't a big sports guy at all, but I can remember like not being on a, a, a soccer team because of we, we would meet on they, the practices would be on Wednesday. Yeah. And so my parents were like, we're not going to do that. You're going to miss church, you know, or church came first. I remember having to tell my team leader that, you know, let him know that I was not going to be at church on Sunday because I had a competition. Crazy to think that I needed to answer to like a 23 year old mm -hmm. when I'm like 17 and be like, yeah, just so you know, I'm not slacking off. I'm not like, 
I'm not in sin. I have a prior commitment that I have to be at. Like that's, it's insane, right? Because the first thing people think of if you're not there is not like, is he okay? It's like, he's off sinning and doing something. Right. You know? And, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, and, you know, it didn't hurt or help that I have a twin brother. So it's like, if one of us wasn't there, everyone would be asking, like, where's your brother? Why isn't he here? And it wasn't the default of asking, like, is he okay? Is he sick? That kind of thing. It was just like, well, why yeah. is he here? Man. Oh, yeah, it's rough. Um, yeah, how did <laughs> you had to tell a 22 year old man you weren't at church? You just had to answer. We had to answer to so many people. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, someone was always keeping tabs on you. Someone always was like, I'm lucky that I didn't live in a household when I was in campus because. I couldn't afford it. So I was with my parents, but phone calls, checking up on you, talking with, I mean, it was, and it was like that in the teens, you know, constant surveillance, constant surveillance. I mean, and luckily because we were in West Cobb, <laughs> there weren't other disciples at our schools. Um, so it was kind of, it, it was kind of like, oh yeah, I feel separated because all of my friends go to like Walton or Kennesaw Mountain, but mm -hmm. Also, not I don't have someone breathing down my neck every day at school. So yeah, that kind of was that might have been nice. Yeah, and then of course it all changed when you got to campus. Uh, yeah, I felt the opposite of like I wanted to be at a school that everyone went to because you know I was I, we were at Campbell, so nobody went there, you yeah, know, and yeah. so I was always just wishing that I would see people so that I felt included on something. But, uh, I mean, I get why you would want that little bit of respite. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it would have been nice to have more disciple friends there, people that I would see on a regular basis, but mm -hmm. I spent most of my life not having those people going to my school as well. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't like it was, la I didn't feel like I was lacking anything because of the norm. Yeah. Did you, was there anyone that you were able to confide in, like outside of church about what, you know, being yeah. gay? I mean, you know, marching band, band in general is just full of a lot of freaks. So, uh, of course they are. So yes. You could be pretty honest with your close knit group of friends there. And that's kind of, that's what I was. It was, it was a lot of. It was, it was difficult for me at the same time because I don't, you know, like I'm trying to figure out who I am as a teenager. That's not an easy process. So I don't know how to label myself. I don't know what is true, what isn't. I'm going like all these hormones going on in my body. And mm -hmm. then my brain is always occupied on like, you have to go to school. You need to excel. You have to do this. So I was, I guess, out per se to some of my, to, with my friends, but at the same time, you also have an entire school of other people around you with this whole mm -hmm. caste system. Um, and you can't let people know you're gay because that's not safe. Um, you don't want to get Especially back bullied. then. Yeah. Especially back then it wasn't safe. Even if like, it's obvious that you are, you, just you don't, don't say it out loud because you don't want people, you, yeah, you don't want to get bullied. You don't want to get ostracized, even with the smart folks. You don't want that to happen because some of those smart folks happen to be cool and like walk in different circles, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it was, 
I had a, I had a small group of friends that I was honest and confided with, but I don't know that that was really what I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah, I see these people at school every day for a certain number of hours, but they're not like, because they're not a part of the church. Cause they're not a part of the ICOC. They're not a part of my home. They're not a part yeah. of my family, quote unquote. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was maybe a small hand group, like small group of friends, like maybe five people. Um, but really, really, I get, yeah, I, I just reiterate that of like, it wasn't what I needed to, um, to like really help myself mm -hmm. in that time period. What do you think you would have, what do you think you needed or what do you think would have been helpful um yeah like <laughs> besides the obvious just being able to be yourself and like have someone to talk to and not be yeah. afraid of well i mean no i've you know i've i've done this in therapy emdr where you're basically going back and like talking to yourself through a memory and trying to change wow. i've done that too uh it's super helpful it is really, man it really, really is awkward but mm -hmm. really sorry uh, to interrupt you it's just it's just no. cool to hear someone that's done the same thing i've done in therapy yeah, I mean, look, I'm going to do, here I am, I'm going to do a shameless plug because I feel like everybody kind of does, but I want to reiterate for anyone who's listening, whether you are, uh, whether you've left the ICOC, whether you're still a part of it, don't scoff at therapy. It is so, so, so helpful. You don't, and you're probably not even aware of what it is you need out of therapy, mm -hmm. but I can tell you, being in this church, being in this group of churches, you're repressing, you're repressing more than you think you are mm -hmm. um and once you get out of the church you've got to take time you got to take time to heal that like i just recently started going into uh religious trauma like the religious religious trauma of my therapy sessions um and it's tough like you don't realize because of how how much this was a part of our lives how much this bleeds into other issues mm -hmm. that that we have as human beings um i will say like there are a lot of resources out there people just you know you have to be diligent and looking for them not every therapist is going to be like the one you might have to shop around a little bit um but if you're still in the icoc and you want to see a therapist there are a lot of christian their spiritual therapists out there i would say one caveat do not go see a therapist who is a part of the icoc or in your congregation yeah you need someone who does not know you, does not know anything about our culture and can objectively look at you as a human being and be like, you have mm -hmm. a mental illness. This is what we need to do to help you. Or, you know, obviously if, 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 if you don't want to call it a mental illness, if you're not ready for that, um, but at least someone you can talk to that doesn't know you and doesn't know our culture. So they can't, they, you know, the, the, the darkness, the dark tendrils that are like that had the roots that are still a part of the church can't weave their way into the healing that you need. Yeah, I think, yeah, you said it. It's, it had the therapist, you need an object eye, objective eye. Yeah. You need someone who's not a part of, of what it is. I mean, I mean, anybody, anybody needs therapy. I've, I've said it hundreds of times on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> that. It doesn't matter if you're a father, a man, uh, whatever. It just therapy. You you need to talk about your stuff. You don't get out of life clean. 
No. You know, you don't get out of life like unscathed. I mean, it's it's hard and and you have things that create these perpetual cycles in your li in your brain and in your life that keep you in a space that can be very unhealthy. So get to the root cause of it. Yeah. You know. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say a strong opinion here, but if you think you're normal, you're not. Yeah. Nobody, come on. Like humble out, bro. Um Oh, humble trigger word. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh, you're not being humble enough. But yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. What what is normal, you know? It doesn't exist. It doesn't. So, so you make it out of high school. Yeah. Um, um and you're still in the church. Um, and you go to campus. Did you stay in state or did you go somewhere else? I stayed in state. Um, okay. I kind of slipped. I kind of slipped a little bit with my grades in senior year. So um, oh. I ended up. I ended up getting into Georgia State. Um, I, my parents were really adamant about me going to Kennesaw because it was closer, but also that's where most of the disciples were. Yeah. Uh, so it was like an easier, basically kind of like an easier place, a safer place in their opinion, but also someone could be looking, checking up on me at all times, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, but I'm glad I went to Georgia State. We had a smaller, we had a smaller group, smaller ministry. I think there were maybe about 12 of us there at the school. Um, and it educates you a lot because of course you're being in a smaller group, but you have to rely on this small group of people mm -hmm. to you know kind of help meet your spiritual needs but also take care of you as like learning how to be an adult as an 18 year old if i didn't have if i didn't have my gsu uh family i would have been so lost yeah uh, but yeah so i mean um yeah i was at i was at georgia state um we at the time i think we had basically split north and south like you guys were um just for convenience uh, that sort of thing. But we also weren't the only ICOC campus ministry at Georgia State. There were more than one? Yeah. So, I mean, you had us. And like, I know we mentioned that like, um, they're, they, they, they're bridge, they're called Bridgepoint now, I think, but they're the ones who are like not even a mile down the road from North River. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. They had a campus, they had uh, campus folks there. And then Greater Atlanta, like the arts ministry, that was in downtown Atlanta. We also, there was also a group of them. Um, but you guys didn't meet together. No. That's interesting. We, it was, it got, it got real sus there. Cause I think there was one point in time, maybe when I was a freshman or maybe when I was a sophomore, when I guess there were some issues between leadership and the churches. And we were basically told that we could not, uh, we could not do Bible talks with, um the greater atlanta church or, or their their oh. street we couldn't go to their bible talks we probably shouldn't share our faith together but we still did um and it was above our pay grade it was kind of like this is ridiculous this doesn't yeah. make sense but you know we couldn't question it. it's just like this is this is what came down from leadership kind of like things got things did get weird for a few years there with regards to like because how the churches fell like when the dust settled yeah. You know, they were it it got very like tribal. Um very like I mean it very separate. I mean they said that they were it was like a brotherhood, 
but it was very separate with how they dealt with things. It was, it was a step over being a majorly dysfunctional family, Mm -hmm. but the kind that has enough wine in it to where they're like, okay, I can get through this, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. That's gotta be, that's gotta be crazy to navigate. You're like, I mean, they're, (laughs) jeez. And then it didn't help that there was another campus ministry, not a part of our church. They were called Campus Crusade, and they were going around telling people that we were a cult um, so they could poach other people who were coming to church with us away from us. And, you know, that obviously when I was like, I was really in it, super ingrained, like ride or die for the ICOC and campus ministry. I was like, how did like. Just so indignant. How dare they call us a cult? Like, we're all (laughs) trying to follow the same God, I think. Um, It's just so funny how we were all so indignant about it. And like, no, you guys are wrong. You guys are so wrong about all of this. It's never like a question of like, why? Why are they saying this? Right. You know, it's just like, this is persecution. And they were persecuted and I'm being persecuted. And so this means we're doing something right. I know. We as a church wanted to be oppressed so bad. People people in Christianity love to be oppressed. People in Christianity love to feel like they are the minority and they're being persecuted because of their beliefs and that everyone is is out to get them. We Look, I say we as just like in a general sense, but we loved it. We love it. Yeah. You know, I mean, they love to talk about how persecuted they are because they don't believe in they don't believe that you know men can get married and uh, then all of those things or something as simple as that or like their outlook on baptism and someone disagrees with them they're just like geez yeah they're like yes though but like yes i'm i'm i've been persecuted and i'm telling you as like a, a brown and gay man that's not something that anyone wants yeah. like you're not looking to like validate yourself like yeah i got called the n word today or i got called an abomination I'm doing great in my life. Like, no, that's not what you should wish for. You should look, you should look at the Bible and see these people being persecuted with some humility, you know, not like they were doing the right thing. And that's why all this happened to them. Um, Like, I don't think that we're all at the place spiritually where we want to go get uh, like brutally murdered. Like the apostles did just so we can say that we got uh, that we that we um, overcame persecution, that sort of thing. Like just, yeah. just dial it back a whole bunch. But I mean, we, we look at these examples of how like the apostles died and we're like, that's how we need to be going out. And that's how we're going to live our lives toward that. And it's like, turn my cross upside down. Yep. Jeez. Oh man. But, um, so like you, you know, you get to college though, but you were saying you were ride or die. So like you loved it, you were in it, you were like, this is still it. Like, I won't say that I loved it, but I was committed. Uh, Um, Okay. Because this was another community. This is a larger community that I felt like maybe it'd be a part of. Yeah. Uh, Still in the back of my mind, I thought to myself, this could make me straight. Um, you know, that feeling of, a lot of affirmation that I wasn't getting beforehand because now these people, because we are constantly under surveillance, we had something going on every damn night. Like, yep. It's, it's so terrible. Like I don't even want to get into it, but I'm going to If like, I think maybe I had one night a week. It was probably either Monday or Wednesday where I could just go home and do homework. 
but you know mm -hmm. tuesday was our midweek yep uh either monday or wednesday would be our d groups which for like those who don't know what that means it's kind of like our accountability groups um mm -hmm. thursday i would have worship rehearsal either with the campus worship team or with the um with the main church worship team Friday, always Devos, Saturdays, dates, Sunday with its own work day. I'm like at the church from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, rehearsal services and then Bible talk leaders meetings. Um, and it was just like, I felt like I was accomplishing something by doing all of that. You know, the way that people nowadays were just like so proud of being so busy mm -hmm. and being miserable. Um that's I think that's kind of the way that I felt. I was like, this is a huge affirmation. Like I was very much like um I was very much a works kind of guy, like works over faith as opposed to having equal amounts. I was very much like the more that I do, the more affirmation I can get. But also it's it, you know, it it is also providing an affirmation for me that like I'm still covered by the blood of Jesus and like I deserve salvation or like, you know, I didn't deserve salvation, but like I'm working for my salvation, that sort of thing, because I just felt so terrible about who I was. Um, growing up, hating yourself is, is a bitch. I'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. uh, they were really good at getting us to feel bad about ourselves. So to have your added, you know, level of that has got to be, oh, geez. I mean, and it was, it was always conflicting because I was being lifted up for my talents. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, well, <laughs> um, I was, you know, always pretty shy, um, rightfully so, because I didn't want people to know who the real me was. I obviously didn't know who the real me was at that time anyway, but, um, you know, I started being trained up to be the the song monkey of the campus ministry or like we called ourselves song monkeys is probably not good because we were all black. So, um, <laughs> yeah um, but yeah uh <laughs> but um i was being trained up to be the like the main song leader um you know eventually once you know i had i've had some i've had some really great campus ministers and leaders and some really terrible ones but the ones who poured the most into me were like we're going to teach you how to be a better song leader we're going to get you out of your shell that sort of thing um so I felt like I was being affirmed for my gifts. I was being affirmed for the way that I was serving the church. Um, I remember that we had a campus retreat one time um, and I was leading worship. I put a lot of work into like planning out the entire weekend worth of worship. Wow. <laughs> Ooh, gosh. Um, and my campus minister shouldn't have told me this, but he did um, basically during worship my old team minister who be ended up becoming a campus minister. I don't know if he was still um, with us or if he was leading at Auburn for a while. He was like, when did John Weaver get a personality? Uh, and when <laughs> I heard that, I was like, you asshole. Like, Dang, that sucks. It's, you know, it's cool though. People are dicks. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it felt good to be affirmed for the hard work that I was putting mm -hmm. in. Um, even though I hated myself throughout it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The church did really well at that. Like try or not. I mean, you, they would be affirming the work that you were doing if it was providing something. Right. You know, and then you would, you would get a spotlight on. And I think that's one thing <clears throat> that's kind of like a tenant of our church was the works, you know, yeah. the works that you were doing is, is how it was, it was the works that you were doing and how you looked 
Yeah. I think were two things that were like determinants of like your salvation. Mm. Um, and it, it's tough when you, I guess, I mean, for me, I never saw myself in the people that were up high. And so I don't know. I just never felt that I was going to attain that, but these, um, it's just so opposite though, of what the whole thing is supposed to be about, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it didn't help that in my heart, I was a very ambitious person and that's what they wanted. They mm -hmm. want a type A, they want someone charismatic. They want someone who's going to fight for what it is that they want because that'll help them to grow into, well, I mean, grow, I'm going to use that term Lucy, but it'll help them to shine. They wanted mm -hmm. people who were shiny or like, I guess, some, uh, I know my, my mom used this word uh, right after I told her about the podcast. She was like, she used the word sharp. And I was like, oh my God, it's a huge trigger for Roy. Um, she called me sharp. No, she used the term sharp. Oh God. I was like, um, oh, don't call me like, sharp. She was like, please. she was like, that's what they wanted. They wanted sharp people. Yeah. Um, and now I don't remember like what other, cause I don't remember us using sharp when I was on campus. It was more of like, um, solid on fire. Awesome. That sort of thing. So I'll say sold out. Um, I think we said locked in instead. Locked in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's what they were looking for. You had to have the personality. You had to have the looks. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think I don't know which came first, uh, having a little bit of a glow up or having the personality glow up that kind of got me on their radar um, because I was getting out of my shell and because I was talented. But, you know, they pounced on that. They're like, oh, you have potential. Some mm -hmm. of it was kind of like, a, um, what's the word? A necessity. Because mm -hmm. I was the only freshman to come into Georgia State my year. So they were like, hey, we've got, you know, we've got our two leaders at Georgia State. They're about to be on their way out. So we need to train you up because they're the only one we have this year um, to be like a Bible talk leader. And of course, I didn't want to do that, but I couldn't say no. You can never say no. Yeah, can't say no. No. Mm -hmm. um, so it, yeah, once again, it does give you that kind of affirmation of like, oh, maybe I am pretty. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, you know, maybe I do have a bearable personality, uh, it, you know, like it, it makes you feel wanted. Yeah. Um, but you're being used. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I guess it's, you know, it's sadly enough, it's, it's, it's a, maybe it's a good transaction there. Like, Hey, I get lifted up, but I have to do all this work and, you know, people are taking advantage of my gifts, but you know, that's what we would call a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, except we weren't getting paid for it. We were getting, well, I mean, maybe we were getting paid in spiritual credits. And that's what I, you know, that's what I thought of my life is like, it's the more that I can do, um, the more that I can serve, those are my spiritual credits. Like that is, those are my gold coins to get me over the river sticks to get into Elysium, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. You'll have a bigger house in heaven or something. I don't know. Right. That or, that or just kind of like, I have, I, in my brain, I was like, I have a place in heaven at all. Yeah. Um, like everything I did was building up another brick uh, or like another grain of sand. Who knows? Um, That's so much work, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and even looking back on it now, I'm like flabbergasted that that was my mindset because I don't have a great understanding of what heaven looks like. I have, I don't have a great understanding. I mean, like I have a, gr I have vivid pictures of what hell looks like but I don't have that connection to 
the joy of heaven that everyone really talks about mm -hmm. or the idea of how perfect it could be just serving God all day and night long and how uh, there's no pain, that kind of thing. I'm like, there's always pain. Mm -hmm. uh, hell is here. That's what it is for me. So I don't like, I know it could get worse, but I can't see how it could get better. Um, wow. So yeah, I really hated myself back then. It was not, yeah. it was not good. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, well, what was, what was it like to date then in the church? I Ooh, mean, Roy, Roy, I just, I can't, I mean, I hated it and I can't imagine what the culture is so messed up, man. But uh, just the idea, like <clears throat> you're on these, these dates with these girls and you're feeling your feelings because you know who you are and yeah. I mean, I had an entire therapy session dedicated to just venting about this, not even to getting into the healing part of it, just venting mm -hmm. uh, because our culture is so screwed up. Like the moment you hear we're splitting up men and women in anything, you knew we were talking about purity or dates, yep. mm -hmm. um, which would always like, I would die inside because we'd have to have like, it, I don't know. It was just always so intense. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Some, some uh, older man, like a married man from within the church, come in and yell at us and say that we were boys and not men, um, and that we need to do a better job of taking our sisters out on dates, you better examples, excuse me, that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, I thought it was hilarious when you said that they were telling you that if you masturbated, you were gay. Yeah. Uh, because for me, if I had heard that, I would have been like, in, internally, I would have been like, hell yeah, I'm already ahead of the class. You guys are losers. <laughs> um <laughs> But obviously, up yeah. to like when I was in campus, we had, we had that like that wouldn't have flown, and we had a campus minister when I first started who was very adamant about that not being okay, mm -hmm. uh, like not to make a joke out of being gay, which is actually really, like to a point affirming for me, but is obviously just kind of like a, we say it once, we're not going to say it again, sort of thing. Um, but yeah, when it came to dates, it was always so nerve wracking. I understood the concept of it being encouraging, like calling them encouragement dates, obviously is just really triggering. But the fact that like, yeah, we're, we're taking, we're taking our sisters out. We're taking a girl out just so she can have a good time and she can see what it's like having, um, like going on a date with someone, whether it's under a romantic interest or not, which it never was for me. Um, just showing how they should be treated, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, and that, that aspect of it, I was okay with, I mean, I'm a heavy introvert. So if I didn't have to be around people or talk to anyone, especially being gay, I'd be like, cool. <laughs> if I can get out of going on this uh, double, I'm, I'm great. Um, but yeah, it was just, it just, it just got super weird. I think that was probably one of the bigger things that started like waving a red flag for me was that this was our expectation of how to have healthy relationships with the opposite sex mm -hmm. as opposed yeah. to like, you know, it, you know, it's, it's so sad that we're basically under the impression that we're all so socially inept that we can't have a conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a woman uh, without it either being looked at as sinful or a weasel date. Mm -hmm. uh, I hated that term so much. Cause I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, 
it's a, I'm on a weasel date because I'm having a civil conversation of, with a woman that is not turning towards something sexual or having a, the ulterior motive <laughs> of something for, of something sinful. But I mean, I'm gay, so it wasn't going to turn that way anyway, but <laughs> it just felt so dumb mm, yeah. that, that we couldn't, we couldn't expect the trust or even the capacity for men to have a conversation with a woman one-on-one -on -one, and there not be anything wrong with it. Yeah. Jeez. And then, you know, it all flowed into the dates and that even got complicated too. I think the, the, the biggest thing that really, I mean, I was always not comfortable with it, but the biggest thing that turned, turned me off to that idea was the first time I heard that the sisters couldn't say no to dates. Mm, that was, yeah. that scared me. I was like, what do you mean they can't say no? Like you're, mm -hmm. you're saying basically the, the message that you're sending to both men and women is that anyone outside of the church is either like a pervert or, um, like a Jezebel and they're always coming to steal your innocence. Um, but our women can't say no to going on dates with us, mm -hmm. taking away a, a form of autonomy that would probably look really, really bad outside of this church. Like if, if, like if, if a man came up to a woman and was like, I want go, or you, do you want to go on a date with me? And she says, no, this is the equivalent of him. Like, you know, I mean, I, this is a stretch. I'll say that, but it's the equivalent of him like going off and be like, well, if you don't want a date with, or on a date with me, then, you know, I'm going to attack you. Like we're obviously we weren't a step towards that level, but it felt it's, you know, it felt like the path was open that we're telling mm -hmm. them they can't say no. Yeah, it was that idea of their job was to encourage us as much as we were supposed to encourage them. Like, and I'm not using that. I just, that's just, that's what it was. They were there for us and we were there for them. And that's just how it is. It's not right because that's not at all what it's supposed to be about. Yeah. Getting to know someone and dating someone should never be like that. The purpose of it is i mean it was it's an incredibly flawed and damaging system yeah that we were put into and it puts nothing but pressure on both parties pressure to your and and fear fear of of everything fear of every yeah. movement fear of every placement of your hand in a and not even in like a i mean just like where if you're at watching a movie you know is your arm too close to theirs yeah no, because what is that going to do? What is that going to say to them? And like the fear of being alone with someone, you know? Yeah. I mean, the culture, I mean, it varies from place to place, but like, I remember obviously what we called midnight was what we called sin hour. Oh yeah. The sin never hour. be like, even if you were in a group, men and women can never be together after midnight. Um, my brother lived in Kansas when I was in campus. So I like, I would visit him you know, during holiday weekends if I could I remember just being like internally so scandalized that we were at a sister's place. I mean, they lived in the same neighborhood as my brother and his roommate, so it, it wasn't that weird, I guess. But we were at a sister's place watching a movie. I think it was a great Gatsby. And it was after midnight and no one was getting up. No one was moving. We just stayed to watch the movie. And I was like, wait, is, is someone going to tell on us? 
is someone here like a plant and they're going to go tell the campus minister and we're all going to have a talking to, or I'm going to yeah. go back to Atlanta and that campus minister will have talked to my campus minister mm -hmm. and said that this happened because that's how it worked. You yeah. could not like eyes were always on you. You couldn't get away with anything or well, get away as a loose term because it was always a, it was, excuse me, excuse me. It was always a matter of perception. Right. So, and it wasn't like most of anybody was doing anything. It was just, it was just like you're watching a movie and it's over at 1230 or one o'clock, whatever. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 that's something that's hard to let go of. It's hard to reconcile and, and heal um, from all of the cheese. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember going on single dates and feeling like I was such a, a rebel, you know, <laughs> I was already like, I mean, I was in my mid twenties, but it's still just like, you're just this constant, like, what are you saying? How are you saying it? Are you making her feel encouraged? Are you making her feel comfortable is, you know, yeah. so much is going on. Jeez. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to lose yourself in that, especially when the date isn't necessarily about encouragement when you're actually interested in someone. Mm -hmm. I remember that being its own issue uh, because, you know, you'd have some guys who got baptized they're like, I saw this really pretty girl. And the only way that she's going to date me is if I get baptized. Obviously their hearts were changing because they were going through this, uh, the, uh, the studies. So that was great. But like, that was a, for a lot of people, that was their focus was I'm going to get into campus and I got to get married before I get out. Um, mm -hmm. interested in someone I like, I don't want to wait another day. I don't want to wait for another brother to pounce on them. Uh, we had an issue where we called them waves where it's like a, a handful of brothers would be interested in the same sister and they're all unknowingly fighting over trying to win her affections to the point where everyone's trying to take this sister on a date, but other sisters haven't been taken on dates in weeks or months. So we would get called out for that too. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. There's always one or two girls that all the guys liked. <laughs> yeah. And then the, I don't know, the sadness and dejection that they would feel when their feelings were reciprocated or when she actually started officially dating someone else. And they're like, I thought things were going well. Like, cause of course the, the, a part of our culture is you could never let some, you could never outright tell someone you're interested in them. Um, mm -hmm. It, it could yeah. be, it could be kind of, it could be subtle. It could be kind of overt depending on how much time you're spending with them and going on dates, but you could never specifically say, Oh, I'm into you. You mm -hmm. had to tell your, you had to tell your disciple at first, and then they would give you advice about how you should proceed, how many dates you should go on within the next mm -hmm. period of like three to four months. Then, um, then you would sign the appropriate documentation, get them notarized and copied and then as soon as those were done they would give them to your to your leader and then they would go to the next higher up to make sure all the boxes were checked and then you and know. then you had to switch over to the women uh yeah. and then like tell her discipler that you were interested in her and then she would give you advice and she you know she would plant seeds or let you know whether or not she thought it was a good idea that it just it's like this super gross version of matchmaking where you yeah. <clears throat> like yeah it's toxic for one thing yeah and it's very controlling um 
And it's, I, I think about all the people that have been divorced that went through that, you know? Yeah. And I, it's just, dating's just not, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a lot more easy and fun than that. Yeah. You know, I don't mean easy in like a sexual way. It's just supposed to be easier. You're just getting to know each other. Yeah. It doesn't need to be all of this pressure. And like, you can just be a decent person and... I was telling someone about how this feeling of I've talked about not getting cookies before. Yeah. After the date. And there's always this sense of like, you were supposed to get something after the date. It was like a thank you or a card. And I think what that in, what that built in me is this feeling of, I need a reward for doing something good. Right. Yeah. And I think that this touches into bigger things with like, I think how boys are in general, how moms can treat boys mm-hmm. by, you know, they don't believe that boys can be good. So they have to give them constant rewards and validation in order to do good things. But it's like, why did we even deserve, why did we even need to have a thank you? Like we needed a cookie because we were just decent. Yeah. It just does like that doesn't that doesn't compute with me, you know. Like it was the bar so low. Yeah. We had to like <laughs> we're that messed up that the only way to get me to not have sex with you is to know that there's gonna be a a plate of cookies and a nice handmade card. Thanks for the date. Do you want a cookie? Like yeah, like, the head and a you cookie. You did a great job. You were a <laughs> you were a good man. <laughs> Congrats. Uh, <laughs> you made it. <laughs> Everyone cheers. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, that culture was so toxic to the point where I thought like, I thought that it was uh, that it could work for me, you know, um, like there was a sister that I was really close friends with. And obviously I'd never had I never had any feelings of romance before. Obviously, I've had crushes and stuff, but um, the more time we spent together, I was like, "Oh, maybe this is be- this is gonna be- this is becoming something." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe if we go on more dates, you know, this could this could be a thing. Uh, and it didn't help that you know I don't know if you've heard about Guy Hammond. Um, he he is a formerly gay man who uh, got married, had kids within the church, and that became his whole ministry. Um, was he, he became a speaker. Yeah. Yeah. He came to places yeah. I've heard him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he came, he came to North river and did the speed, like did a few like classes and stuff. And it was and in my brain, it was kind of helpful because it gave people the bare minimum of understanding of like, we're decent people, uh, or that we're human beings and that their prejudices are sin as opposed to us being, the sin. Um, but the mindset there was that if he could do it, then we could do it. You know, like that was kind of the the goal that we were aspiring to. Um, and it didn't help that it was also very controlled as well. Um, oh, like a big part of that was we couldn't call ourselves gay. You couldn't call yourself gay because that means that you were identifying with the community. And that's what we could not do. We had to call ourselves we had to call ourselves same sex attracted, 
That's a big that word. A very, in, yep. Like a, a very matter word. of fact way of speaking about it, but mm -hmm. you did not want to be associated with the community because that was sinful. That was your choice. The um, community was sinful. Yeah. Or like, obviously they were trying to separate the idea of like being born queer is not a sin but the fact that like your actions are the sins in there. And if you're choosing to identify yourself with this community, you are choosing sin. That the community is sin. That's weird logic. Yeah. Um, A lot of steps. Wow. If he can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Oh, that was man. that, that I was almost convinced that that could happen. So I mean, I started, I started uh, going on like frequent dates with this sister um, and being like, maybe this is romance that maybe this is, you know, maybe I am developing feelings for her and not realizing that I'm just making a really, really great friend, having a very close friendship with another woman uh, or with a woman because, you know, in the campus, we weren't allowed to do that. Yeah. So it even got Can to I me where it's like, you couldn't have you couldn't have a close friendship with anyone who is the of the opposite sex because that means you were weaseling. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back a little bit to this, the conversations with the, the guy Hammond guy. Did they talk about how like the choice was like, did they talk about how you could just be celibate yes. or yeah. And so from what I'm got, cause I've, I've been following numerous people over the few years, just trying to figure out what the conversations are happening out in just Christianity in general. And, you know, there's these guys that, that, that go on speaking engagements much like guy Hammond does. And he says, you know, you can choose to overcome these emotions and have this, or you just live a single celibate life. Right. And those are your only two options. And they did a really good job of making it seem appealing. Um, mm -hmm. like I, I forget which scripture, but, um, it's in the new Testament and Paul's like, it, it may be better to be like, to not have a wife, um, in order to control yourself better. And that was kind of like the mindset that we were given is like, you can either like, you can either allow God to lead you towards a woman who is going to be totally okay with the situation. And maybe you'll fall in love with her, has some kids or maybe we'll just have a really platonic relationship that revolves around being really close, or you can be celibate. But there is no in-between of genuine love unless you can fabricate it in some way with a woman. Fuck, man. Sorry. I just am no. like it's it's so hard to uh, it's so hard to feel like to not have anger at the twisting of the scriptures for that. Um, our life is so way more nuanced than an either or mindset for anything. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it just, it's such a problem. You know, I think um, I'm always wary of people that say, I remember one time my dad was, telling me that they were going to have a guy talk about it was uh, somebody who ministered to the gay community and i've rarely ever heard anyone any time that anyone or any person that said that where it was anything more than just saying like you're either going to be celibate or you're just gonna have to pray through it there was never like an acceptance or never this idea of like i mean this is this is who you feel you are and so yep pray that gay away it's like, 
Jeez. Yeah. And so, and, and at this time still nobody knows. Um, like maybe, maybe a few people know, like, you know, at some point I, I got really tired of having to go into like D groups and we're talking about purity and having to basically, um, you know, basically twist the truth. Cause obviously I can't, I can't come out and be like, yeah, sorry guys. I lusted after this brother who was being really spiritual on campus. Uh, like my bad. Um, it was just, it was, it was really taxing and really hurtful. Wish she would have. What? Man, that would have been just, that would have just thrown a wrench. They would have not known what to do with you. I was way too afraid of that. Cause I mean, obviously already people didn't know. I think, I think I did eventually come out to my teen minister at some point when he was berating or well, admonishing me and my brother during a, like a, I don't know, like a D group session. Um, it's a whole thing. I won't go into it, but um i think yeah eventually i did start coming out to some of my team or to my campus ministers the people that i was um who were leading me that i was close to because i did want to have a genuine i wanted to have like a genuine relationship with them but also feel like they could help me even if they didn't have the resources um and i think the ones who i who i was or like that god led me to to confide in were were great um they didn't really fully understand it but they did the best they could to love me with what they had um and you know that i think i think i came out to a few close friends who've like have become some of the best friends i've ever had in my life um but really not to many people obviously i was told like it i was told within the church that it would i needed to be very selective slash not tell people like that was a directive coming from leadership um yeah and I mean, it made sense, obviously it has to like, it, there's wisdom in that because there's, it, I might not be safe. Um, or it could start tainting my involvement in the church to the point where it's like, it's a matter of perception. You didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but if, if no one feels comfortable around you being in the church, then, you know, we're going to like, we're going to pull you out. Um, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, which was also another huge fear of mine is being left without this community. Um, so that community was all we had. Yeah. 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 People, people say like, why would you stay in something so long? But especially for those of us that like, that were born into this, I mean, what else did we know? Yeah, it was home. I mean, like one of, I think uh, our slogan at North river was welcome home. <laughs> um, and that's, that's the way that we wanted it to feel. Um, and that's kind of the way that I felt, but, you know, maybe I was just too, in, maybe I was just too uh, desensitized to having to living in a dysfunctional family that I was kind of like, oh, this is normal. Uh, yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, at some point I did, in fact, I did, in fact, think that, like, I could, uh, that I could like grow feelings for this girl that uh, I thought I liked. But I think it was during one, one date that we were on, we were like, um, we were going to, we went to a food truck park, which was really awesome. The food was great. Um, but I realized I was like, how, how, uh, how terrible is this going to be for her? If like, if I'm wrong about this, we start going down the line and then I have to confess this to her. And I have to tell her that she's not going to have, 
the love and the romance that she wants to have in um in a relationship and that if she wants to she can make this huge sacrifice for me because i'm the problem you know like that mm -hmm. that terrified me so it's basically like okay cool well i'm backing off i don't want to feel like I, I don't want her to feel like i led her on but i need to take a step back yeah um cool all this off because i don't feel that way i don't know how much i don't need how much i don't know how much more time i need to convince myself that that's not happening mm -hmm. um so i mean it got me that's the the dating culture really got to me too um and i don't you know what i don't think I don't think I came out to any sisters whatsoever. Uh, mm. cause that was obviously a super huge no, no. Oh uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But at some point, which made things a lot more complicated for me when I did start coming out to some of the brothers that I was close to, they started passing off any of, um, I mean, obviously they had some wisdom and only would do this with men, but any man who would like come out and said like, Oh, Hey, I struggle with this sense of attraction or identify as this. I was their go-to um because oh, they didn't geez. know how to handle it so i became that was a part of my ministry i became the gay poster boy for the campus ministry and i had a group of guys that i was solely responsible for with discipling based upon their um based upon their status and sexual orientation obviously they had other like d groups and disciplers but that was a big part of like who i had to be for them um did that feel good or did that f i mean what it was, was it? scary scary um, Cause it was in a kind of way it was, it was affirming cause it made me feel like I was mature and then it made me feel like I was more spiritual. But at the same mm -hmm. time, I, I didn't have the resources. I was flying by the seat of my pants at all times and just trying to find generic ways to make the scriptures blend into what it is that they needed to hear. Um, but even then, like, even like, you know, you know, when you're trying to give someone advice, but you're not taking it yourself. That's always how I yeah. felt. Mm -hmm. um it was like i'm trying to tell you what the right thing is supposed to look like but i i'm not perfect and you know like i'm trying to do this but it's not even working out for me so maybe you'll have a better you maybe have a better go at it um but yeah Jeez, it was, that sounds terrible <laughs> it it was it was scary i mean like i know that a few people have talked about this but it is it's a regret that i have is like of leading them mm -hmm. improperly um, and maybe causing them more pain than they would have, uh, than they mm -hmm. would have felt if they hadn't joined the church. Um, yeah. I think at a certain point when I started getting a bit more rebellious, um, I sat like a, I sat a group of the guys that I was really close to down. And I was like, I know that I shouldn't say this because I know that someone will come up and like, uh, um, admonish me because the idea of someone going to a different church within our church is you know no no absolutely not um mm -hmm. some my sister got uh admonished for um for taking a girl who was studying the bible to like bridgepoint mm -hmm. um they're like she needed to come to this church she didn't need to come to theirs and i was like we're on the same body y'all chill out um, <laughs> but i mean i talked to my guys and i was like I would rather see you somewhere else, like not at this church, maybe at another church, um, and you be happy than to stay here and be miserable. Like, yeah, that's a healthy them, attitude. Yeah, I'm giving them the out that I couldn't give myself. Mm -hmm. um, because for me, as like their leader, kind of like their older brother, 
I felt that I needed to be perfect. And if I wasn't, then that would cause them to stumble too, because they're realizing that like some yeah. of these things may not be attainable. Some of these options may, you know, like no matter how hard they try, they may not be able to achieve these things that, that the church is telling them will give them a better life and will give them the satisfaction of being right with God. Yeah. Uh, and I have a lot of regret there. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was a teen worker for like five or six years, and there's countless things I wish I would have said, countless things that I should I wish I would have stand up and yelled. You know, we all have something. I was telling someone, I, I, I we all have blood on our hands a little bit for yeah. just things that have, you know, we were a part of this system, so we were perpetuating it whether we knew it or not. Yeah. You I know. mean, and on the flip side of that, even though it was really scary and daunting, there were also really good moments in there too, mm -hmm. because I was able to help educate the campus ministry kind of from my own, or like some, especially the campus ministers on some of my own experience and like what things could, could not work. Um, I have a, or I had a campus minister who I just, I, he's, he's such a great guy. I love him. Um, and he didn't know any better, but um, you know, when Guy Hammond was coming around, we were talking about getting like a little support group going um, after mm -hmm. one of his messages. Maybe he'd come talk to us so that we could have, um, oh gosh, I don't remember what his ministry was called, but you had to pay to be a part of it. We wanted to have like a free chapter of it at North River, um, but we wanted that. We wanted to have kind of to have this support group and um, a campus minister came up to me and he was like, Hey, uh, do you mind reaching out to so-and-so or like just talking and bringing it up so that maybe he can join, um, maybe he can join your support group. And I was like, dude, I didn't know. I didn't know that he was, uh, same as attracted, like you outed him to me. Um, and of course oh, he man. didn't know that was a bad thing. He didn't know that that was a bad thing. So I was able to like gently educate him and be like, dude, I knew your heart was in the right place. I'm not like mad at you for this, but don't do this again. That is mm -hmm. a huge betrayal of trust. Um, if you wanted to, instead, you could have, you could have asked, uh, this guy, if he felt comfortable coming up to me, um, or you could have asked me first, like, Hey, do you mind if I tell someone very generic that, that they can come to you as a resource for this? And I was like, cool. Yeah. I mean, as long as, uh, as long as they had gotten my consent to tell people about me, then I was fine. Mm -hmm. But when it came to like someone outing someone to me, I was like, uh, we got a long way to go here. This is a basic tenant. Like, yeah. You, I even I even know that you don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it's a lot more common sense now, I guess, especially in a, in what we would call righteous faith-based communities. Mm -hmm. uh, because especially, you know, like if we're looking at it as a, as a viewpoint of sin, you wouldn't just go out and be like, "Hey, yo, like to the entire church, I saw that you were like drinking to excess last night. Do you want to fix that?" Like you have to be a bit more discreet and subtle about it. So, yeah. mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he just, he just didn't know. So it did give mm -hmm. me a lot of opportunities to help teach people, to watch them learn. Um, like I had a set of roommates, also twins. I don't know why it is that we always congregate together. Um, but <laughs> I lived with them for about nine years and I have watched their journey learning how to understand me Um and my sexuality and how it how it uh, affect how it affects my role in the church and my my image my mental health, I have watched them grow 
um, so much. I mean, I live alone now. We haven't lived together in a couple of years, but um, I've watched them grow so much and learn how to love me as I am, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to looking at the scriptures and saying, well, this scripture says this and you're bad and we don't know what to do with you. Um, like that is something that I have genuinely, that's like one of the good things that I've genuinely gotten out of uh, the ICOC is that I have friends that are that close who mm -hmm. are so like have learned, been in the trenches with me in my issues um, and I've still learned to love me through all of them. And, mm. you know, they're lifelong friends. Like um, they are so protective of me. Like when I tell them uh, if like if, if I've, if I've been bold enough to tell them I'm going out on a date with someone or with the dude, they're like, I hope it goes well. Like tell us if it doesn't, like you shouldn't be with anyone that's not worthy of you. Like I'm very, protective. that's awesome. And that like, that fills my soul up with so much joy, <laughs> but it is, it has been years of effort for us to get to mm. that place. So even having a small amount of that in the campus ministry made me feel good um, because you never know, like no matter amount, no matter the amount of compassion and empathy someone has as even just being a member of the church, because that's, you know, kind of required, um, there are limits to that. Mm -hmm. People don't know a lot of things. So when they're uneducated, they're scared. Um, or they get nervous and they don't, because there's, once again, there's no materials, there's no, um, there's no, there are no tools to be given to people to be like, okay, this is how you handle this. Um, like even I, we, um, I studied the Bible with a trans person, but I didn't know that he was trans. Um, and, you know, I made a bunch of stumbles in there as well. Like when we were studying the Bible with him, because you know, we, well, we didn't know he was trans and we had gone and kind of gotten into the sin study and talked about like the wages of sin is death and blah, 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 blah. Like this is, you know, like our belief is that, you know, you need to repent that sort of thing, um, you know, and, and kind of like brushing along the line of like, well, you're going to hell if you don't, that kind of thing, because that's, that's a part of the culture. Yeah, plus. Um, and and then, you know, when he was like, I can't believe you said that to me, like I'm a trans man. You don't know anything about that. And I was like, oh, shit. Damn. I should have known a lot better. Um, so anything that I could do to help educate folks so that I felt safer was was good for me. Yeah, that's good. Um, <clears throat> it's great that you have friends that you can talk to now. I think that's something that, you know, I've lucky enough to have too. You know, because we all need some, we all need people that we're, we can talk to about these things that we were through, that we've gone through, you know, yeah. and, and it's hard, it's hard to keep friends when you leave something like this, um, especially if they're, they're that, you know, connected and, you know, they don't see it the way you do. Yeah. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. And a lot of people didn't get that. Yeah. You know. And, um, I mean, and I, I, I am very sympathetic towards those people because it was once again, a large part of this culture, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, like to the point where I don't know how to make friends as an adult because my <laughs> friends are always provided for me. Um, we always had so much time with them, yeah. you know, we were, so, we had so much, we, we could shove a whole lifetime in a year, 
yeah. when you think about the how much we were around them. And you know, for people, once again, is this this idea of like you have to there you get lifted up if you're sharp, mm-hmm. if you yeah. are type A, if you are um aesthetically pleasing, that sort of thing. So those people, it's a lot easier for them to make friends, it's a lot easier for them to be popular um in the cliques that also ended up happening in uh in the campus ministry and Mm -hmm. if you weren't that you were neglected and it was hard for you to feel like you had friends i mean at a point in time i was in that sphere but then you know i got out of it but you could you could always see it it's Mm -hmm. not like it wasn't recognizable that there were some there were some guys who you know, in some cases, especially they're from Georgia Tech, they don't really have a lot of great social skills anyway. <laughs> but um, who who didn't have a lot of friends because they yeah. weren't they weren't they didn't have the uh, the the qualifications of someone who should be lifted up and should like that would gain a lot of traction or be influential within the ministry. Well, so, what was so hard about that is because you're you're sort of brought in thinking you're gonna have that yeah and then you're just left out in the cold yeah i mean Um, when you walk into that church it's so like i think that's the thing that draws a lot of people in is it's so crazy how loving everyone is a mm -hmm. little too intense um like everyone's like oh my gosh it's so nice to meet you they want to give you a hug they want to know all about you they like and for the most part it's genuine which is what's makes what makes it scarier uh, because a lot of people are just not used to that. Yeah. Um, and that is the idea that they think of when they come to this church, but over time, mm-hmm. that's not always a reality. Yeah. If you didn't show the value or something, you just kind of got slowly pushed to the side. I mean, yeah, you're slowly, slowly pushed to the side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and me as a person, especially being a heavy introvert and also being super overwhelmed by the church, when a service was over, I'd maybe talk to one or two people that I wanted to see and then like dip out as soon as possible. So I didn't have to talk to anyone. And mm-hmm. then, you know, getting pulled aside one time, like, like, why do you leave the service so early? I'm like, I don't want to be around you people, but not saying it like that. Um, Just being like, this is, you know, we've had this entire day. I'm overwhelmed. If we have a meeting after this, I want to have the opportunity to get lunch and maybe clear my mind for a little bit before I have to go into seeing people again. Yeah. Uh, but it's that expectation of us a lot of friendliness, the fellowship, mm-hmm. a lot of love. And sometimes not everyone receives that. Sometimes not everyone wants that. And being forced into it can be even worse than not yeah. having it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, so how did you start your exit? When Ooh. did you like, when did you know you had to leave? Was it a slow drip or was it like it was I'm out. It was a little bit of a slow burn. Um, I think it started in 2018. Um, I moved to London for work for the year. Wow. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was my first time living on my own, my first time leaving the country um, and like traveling that far and being away from family and friends where I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it was, a, it was a weird thing in the church too because, well... <laughs> It was announced in front of the entire church without my consent. So now everyone knew where I was going to be. Uh-huh. And I started getting a lot of questions from leadership of like, um, well, why haven't, have you connected with so-and-so in this region or that region, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know where I'm living, dude. 
um, like I didn't get my travel orders until the day of. So Wow. plane looking at my address and be like, oh, I wonder where this is. Um, luckily, they have a car coming to get me when I get there, but it was like 3 a.m. when I arrived. Um, Jeez, you didn't even know where you were going. yeah, I mean, that's the biz. All right. But uh, like, yeah, it was a lot of people who seemed really concerned for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it felt like once again, like with the church, it was a lot of like control. They needed to know the information so they could know what to do with you and who to keep, who's going to keep by, like who's going to keep eyes on you. And in some way that would seem like comforting, but it was a barrage, like to the close to the day that I was leaving, um, you know, like I've been going through this stressful process of getting a visa and, um, like packing my life away. Um, for a while, trying to find someone who can take over my or who can um, maybe take over my rent at my apartment, which like we couldn't for a while. So I was paying I was paying my rent uh, uh, while I was in London. Uh, luckily, my my um, apartment and my car and stuff were all paid for by the studio that I worked with. So that was great. But it was a lot of stress. And then I've got people down my neck about like, well, why don't you know where you're living? We need to get you in touch with this region leader, this these folks that you can talk to. And I'm like, you, you got to let me get there first. Yeah. Uh, you know, and by the time I did end up getting there, it wasn't, I was kind of a little concerned about trying to get, um, get like plugged in with it, one of the churches over there, but I was more concerned about trying to make sure my life was working, you know, like yeah. uprooted my life. And now I'm trying to figure out, okay, so I got to figure like, I'm using a new currency. I got to figure out what that means for my bank account. You know, I got to figure out where I'm getting food. I was sharing a car with two other people. I like, I don't know the landscape. I don't feel confident enough to know what, how the city works. Um, so, and then by the time I got there, my purpose there was to work. Yeah. Um, you know, And we're working long hours. Of course, I'm also sharing a car with two other people. So if I wanted to go home, I had to wait until they were done with their work day as well. So Oh, jeez. working long hours, Monday through Friday, but also I'm handling another production that's doing additional photography in LA. So Mm -hmm. my days are split between like, okay, I have to be awake long enough to make sure that the I finish the, the shooting day, or at least know what happened at the end of the shooting day for LA when it's like three or four o'clock in the morning. Or, you know, they were shooting, uh, yeah, they shot on a Friday. So Saturday is going to be a day of me catching up with what happened in LA. And then Sunday is like more work and prepping for what's happening on Monday. So my my existence there was work. So I wasn't, I wasn't focused or concerned about getting in touch with the church. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would still, I would like, I would, I was, pretty consistent about having our live screen up. So I'd have one of my laptops like connected via like HDMI cable to my TV and have um, like North Rivers live stream set up in the afternoon while I'm working and watching it. And like, I had a really great family group. So they would try to keep in touch with me once again, like really great friends. Um, they would send me care packages. They would, they would check in via WhatsApp and be like, yo, how's it going? How are things? anything you want us to pray for? Do you need any help? That sort of thing. Like, um, like we can talk to your parents about getting us a, a joint care package. So it doesn't cost as much that kind of stuff. And I still Wow. felt plugged in, but I wasn't, I wasn't plugged in with the London church Mm -hmm. and it gave me an opportunity of freedom. One for a lot of maturity, I had to go through a lot of growth, 
a lot of growing up while I was there. Um, but also giving me this opportunity to have some freedom to figure out who I am and be able to present that authentically and genuinely to the people I'm around. Cause ain't no one know me there. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just this weird, like, I'm just this like weird mixed American dude. Um, and like people could always figure, like could always tell that I'm American because I smile. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, wait, do you guys not do that here? Um, so, I mean, there's always that, there's also that, like that kind of working against me, but I was able to try to like build new friends, show them who I was, not have to be like, I'm the church dude and you should come to church with me. And like, yeah. I can't tell you who, uh, like, I can't tell you anything about my personal life because it's not safe for me, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I work in the film industry there, there are all kinds of people. Uh, there so there's really no room to judge people still do you know <laughs> um i've i have dealt with some racism microaggressions at work there as well but you know that's life yeah. um so that kind of that experience that full year was a real stepping stone for me to be like okay this is an opportunity for me to still stay plugged in with the church and try to like live spiritually but also to branch out a little bit you know like um you know, I'd have, obviously in London, there are pubs everywhere and all that people want to do after work is go to a pub and hang out. So we're just drinking. And like, yeah. sometimes they would have some, you know, sometimes, most of the times I would have boundaries because even when I turned 21, I wasn't super into drinking to begin with. But, you know, like there are a couple of times, like the weekends, we'd go out to a pub and get drunk with our friends and just chill out or like walk around. Um, you know, and I think that being so sheltered in the church, you don't have it, like you mentioned, there's not a lot of stuff you can go through at that point in time to feel like you're, you really need it. Like you really mm -hmm. need salvation. Um, so like you have opportunities to go out and figure out what it is that you like and you learn about what it is that you don't like. Um, the things that you don't want to do ever again. Um, I think I went on my first date with a dude in London. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously it's, this, this is like my mid 20s so i like i knew this didn't work like i was like how does this work it's not an encouragement date i don't like have anything planned <laughs> one we met up at a pub uh but also his like his brother was there and their friends were watching a soccer match uh and it was just super awkward but it happened um or sorry football match like you know gotta get make sure yeah, I get no, it. Uh -huh. um but yeah i mean it was it was a pretty pretty um interesting year of me seeing what my life could look like if i were taking control of it because i had to there mm -hmm. um, so i mean by the time i got back at the end of the year in 2018 um i was i was a, yeah a bit more emboldened a lot more confident in myself uh but you know i still went back to the church because i was like okay so this is my norm i left it i left for um, for a year and a half to come back because this is still my family. You know, um, I still live with disciples. Uh, my family is still like my actual physical family is still in this church. I don't know anything else. And that is my norm. Like this past year yeah. has been a blip for me. Um, so it was just, it was kind of just natural to go back, but the seeds were already there of like, there's something wrong with this. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've always been there, but you start recognizing them more when you've been away for a long time. Um, the one of the big things that like stuck out to me was I'd have random people coming up to me um, 
and being like, oh, we thought you fell away. And I'm like, you don't know me. <laughs> like, I'm, like, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry I haven't like physically been here because I was living in a different country. But you assumed that I just left the church and fell away because you hadn't seen me in a few months. I mean, it was a year. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like you once again, you also don't know me. You've never had a conversation with me before. So I'm glad that I'm that I can come back and affirm your idea of who I am as a person. Um, and that just kind of, it set me off the amount of rumors that were going around that I came back to. jeez. Oh, um, so, I mean, I stayed in, I stayed in it pretty heavily in 2018 or 20, 2019 was a hard year for me in general. Cause work got really bad. I tried to date someone in, uh, I started dating someone in the ICOC that didn't work out. Um, but, like a female? Uh, no, uh, another dude. So oh, okay. it, was, it was interesting, um, but it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. uh, but then the real test, like the real stuff is when the pandemic started and we went into lockdown. Mm -hmm. uh, that is when so many people and the church's true colors really came out. Um, interesting. Why? It, it was... It was some small things and then some big things. Um, I think one of the biggest ones was the amount of police brutality against black people that was that was happening in a lot of the murders like George Floyd, um, Breonna mm -hmm. Taylor, that kind of thing. And how we as a community were hurting, um, especially as people of color, the black community um, were hurting. And we had people in the church who also were empathetic to that. Um, but we could all that we could really do was pray. We could not talk about it as a congregation. Mm. We, were, we were told that we could talk about it in small groups and like we need to get our feelings out about it. We could do that. But as a church, we never spoke about that or spoke out against that brutality or what it looks like to be there for your brothers in mourning, your brothers and sisters in mourning, and all of this kind of stuff that really would have been healing for people of color in the church. Um and one of the one of the things that someone kind of got me onto is this idea of like the the people who are paying our mortgage, the East Cobb snobs, are a lot more conservative. They're the, more the conservative white folks in the church, mm -hmm. and if that makes them uncomfortable, like this is a divisive issue, and that might make them uncomfortable. So we have to protect our interests in this church as a business, and we can't talk about that stuff. That's uh, fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, which geez. which is a part of me wasn't surprised, but when that became when that idea became um what's the word? Um plausible for me, I was like, oh shit. That's bad. Um mm -hmm. it also did not it it did not help that I think a brother and a family group or like one of the married family groups. Um, who was a leader had said something pretty insensitive during one of their Zoom meetups or whatever. And a brother of like a person, a brother, a, a black person, a brother of color, um, was like, that was really hurtful, like, and tried to explain things to him. And of course, the way that the church works, this man had to get up in front of the entire church or our, our, during our live stream um, and tell everyone what, not, or like, confess and tell everyone what he did he didn't go into details but 
you know, I tell you one's like, yeah, I said something super insensitive and, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to, I'm, I'm trying to learn. There's a lot of talk about how much they're trying to learn, which, you know, in a, in a sense, it's nice, but um, we also had some of our elders and deacons come up and be like, Hey, please be patient with us. We've never had to talk about this stuff before. And that got me, that set me off. Cause I was like, this church has been around <laughs> since the sixties. You fossils have been here since the sixties when civil rights were a big issue. And you've never in the past 60 years, close to 60 years had to talk about it's well, it's just because this kind of stuff. It's because we don't we we have the ability to leave the conversation and y'all don't right and so unless you want to be a part of the conversation we we have the i don't know what is it a privilege of leaving it because of of our race and we can surround ourselves with not the issue yeah where you walk everywhere and it is the issue because it's you you know and I'm not standing up. I hope that doesn't sound that I'm standing up for him. I'm just no, saying. No, no, I, I, I understand. That. I mean, I've had a few talks with, um, with folks over time who are like, well, we just like that need that needed that education. They didn't, they didn't know, or, you know, I think there was one guy that, um, uh, who was asking like, Hey, yeah, during the pandemic, I was trying to be there for, for these guys, but I didn't know how, and they're kind of pushing me away. And I was like, it wasn't about you, dude. Mm -hmm. They needed time to like deal with this emotionally. It was yeah. good that you were trying to be there for them, but there was nothing you could do other than to say that you had that you had their backs. Yeah. The worst thing about stuff like that is like be patient with me or I didn't mean to or stuff is it it, it kind of switches everything away from the issue and onto the person. Right. You know, and it's that's that's it's a very challenging thing um and it it also in a way reaffirmed something that we all knew was there but we didn't talk about it and that there is still somewhat rampant racism within this church um even yeah. looking at the way that we split up north river to bridge point once again it's not even a mile like you could easily walk from north river to bridge point and i want to say about 15 to 20 minutes yeah. but Mostly the white folks went to North River and all the black folks mm -hmm. went to Bridgepoint right down the street from each other, never really took any time to get together or do anything. And it just on both sides, there's a twinge of racism in there that is mm -hmm. unspoken, but it's over yeah. time becomes more and more palpable when it comes to little things like I mentioned on campus where we couldn't go to the Bible talks um, for the greater Atlanta uh, folks at our school we're all disciples but we couldn't go to them for some reason or you know when yeah. leaders would get up and say well we're meeting with uh we're meeting with this church to kind of talk about how we can interact more and get educated i'm like y'all it's once again too little too late mm -hmm. um, but you're showing your hand so mm -hmm. great mm -hmm. the the division was always there um from the beginning we just had the umbrella of the whole church. Yeah. You know, like the minute the, the regions were separated geographically and you could see sort of everything that you're saying. Church you know, sharing. Yeah. There was, there was definitely 
where we were as kids, there were a lot more people of color around us. Yeah. Than if you went to another region that was, you know, 10 miles away. And you can say it's geographic all day long, but I don't know. You just, it's hard to keep saying that yeah. after a while. Years and, then and when, years of it. And then when the umbrella goes away, it's just, no, we'll just stay like this. It's easier yeah. this way. So yeah. everybody saw it. Nobody was talking. We None of us were talking about it. Or maybe I, I don't know. We were, I was trying to get through my own crap from everything that was going on in my life with with the church and with all this stuff but yeah i mean that it was it became more glaring and that was a big mm -hmm. reason why i like finally made the steps to leave mm -hmm. i think another big thing or no it wasn't big but it like you know it's like like when you're already having a bad time and then you find out that your shoelaces are untied and you just start like that's the yeah. that's the start of your breakdown um <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. for me <laughs> that for me was like being a part of the worship ministry and using like of course we were all happy to serve and that was um the worship ministry was always my biggest joy in the church because i got to do something that i loved that i was really good at um and when we started going to um or when we started figuring out like okay so we're all in lockdown at a certain point it's kind of like, uh, what was it? Well, we couldn't be out on the roads at a certain time. It almost felt like martial law a little bit. Um, or else if like, if you were driving and it wasn't for something like just to go get groceries or something, then yeah. the police mm -hmm. would like pull you over that kind of junk. Um, so they all figured out like, okay, this is a number of people that the, um, like the, the CDC is, um, is safe to be in a building together if they're, as long as they're six feet apart. So we had... We just had our AV team. Um, we had our we had a producer um, who was kind of like the producing the whole um, service, and then we had the worship team and a um, and like our evangelist for the day. So you know we're we're all there early for rehearsal um, and to get the service going and try to make it as best as we can, like as good as possible as we can, and then coming back every week to a small list of complaints. Or things we need to do better, which you know I'm I'm fine with criticism oh, to a point, like, um, but it was it was started at like dumb stuff in my opinion, where it's like, okay, guys, you need to smile more. John specifically, you need to smile more. Like, look like you're happy to be here. And I'm like, I'm not. The world is on fire and people are dying all around us, <laughs> and we don't know if it's really safe to be together because we don't know how this virus is working. So yeah, I'll try to be more cheerful. We had to like got complaints about being more energetic. At one point, people were complaining that we didn't look like we were six feet apart from each other. So um, we had oh, to fix geez. that. And they were like, we think you guys should be wearing masks while you're singing. And then we think you should be wearing face shields while you're singing. This is coming from people who are sitting at their own day in their own damn homes in their PJs watching the service in the morning. Um and trying to like, you know, you know, giving feedback, whatever, but I mean, like not understanding like do you know how hard it is to sing through a mask and on a face shield into a microphone and still be heard also while trying to stay conscious that is just not it's not possible yeah um and then like the complaints started to get a little more i i would say childish like um one complaint that we got is that we needed to start the service with less complicated songs 
because everyone was waking up and it was too early for them to really get into that spirit or um oh god to like to to sing along with these songs um you know like yeah it's like it's it's different when we're singing with a converse with the congregation but we're just singing in our house it makes us feel really awkward i'm like oh i'm so sorry you feel awkward <laughs> um when i've had to be here since 8 a.m and um you know like i there's no what like we're all getting temperature checked walking into this building we're all getting yeah. uh we're all having to do like we have like marks on the ground on the stage to say like, this is where you stand. We've measured it at six feet apart. Maybe we're going to do six and a half feet, but also making sure that you're still in the view of the camera, um, all this stuff. And it just, it started chipping away at the joy of, of this service and worshiping God and turning it into a job. Yeah. Um, when I was under performance review all the time, you know, like if you, I don't, I mean, it was, I don't think they went even went this far, but it's like, we had to attempt to try to be a little bit color coordinated as well, because, you know, if the lights, like if what we were wearing didn't like match with the lights of the airplay, it might make us stand out a little bit more, that kind of stuff. Um, and it just, it set me off in a way that I was like, is it even worth it to do this? Mm -hmm. Um, is it worth it for me to show up and do this on every Sunday? And then, you know, have to feel the stress of like, okay, I really hope that I didn't get sick today. We don't know where everybody's been. We're all trying to do the right thing, but you know, people be lying. Um, <laughs> so um, I think, well, obviously we were, st we were still in a lot of lockdown. Well, I, I think I started going back to work. The studio forced us to go back to work in like um, the summer of 2020. So I was back, you know, under heavy protocol with work um at a studio filming while also having to like add in this extra um complication of working around the church and how to figure out that with the pandemic um and then in 2021 i spent about a third of the year on and off in london so mm -hmm. by the time i came back and like mid-november of 2021 i was like yeah i don't i just don't think i'm coming back it was very much like a it was a very silent exit i just stopped coming um you know and i, I talked to my roommates about it and because obviously it's like they're still part of the church and you know they're wondering why i'm not waking up with them or driving to church every sunday and like what's going on with that and i'm like i need time i've seen i've seen enough I know that I felt enough to understand that like where I'm at with this church is not healthy. Um, a lot of the stuff that I've seen has not helped me in any way. It's made me feel worse. Um, and for people, I mean, they understood because they're two people who love me and watch me like not taking care of myself. But, like if that's, what's going to help you out, dude, then do what you need to do. Um, so yeah, I think I left officially in the, at the end of 2021 going into 2022. Mm -hmm. um because you know obviously my mental health wasn't great no one's mental health was great with the pandemic and lockdown anyway but i was no, it wasn't mm -mm. All, i was already massively mentally ill and not in therapy at the time so um when i started when i officially started therapy with my current therapist um it was mid 2021 and it was right before i was going back to london for the second time so when i got back i was like i'm committed to going to therapy because i need this shit so bad mm -hmm. um yeah what i don't need is 
go, going into every week where Sunday is my most stressful day of the week. Mm -hmm. Um, like that's, that's a big red flag. That's wrong. So I just stopped coming. I'm still in touch with a lot of people from the, well, with some people from the church. Another great thing about lockdown was that it gave you the opportunity, or at least it gave me opportunity, the opportunity to really weed out like weak friendships, weak relationships, where it's like, we're, we call ourselves friends because we're in the church together, but we're more like acquaintances. Yeah. And also to weed out people who like, who caused me a bunch of stress or were just using me. You know, the number of campus brothers who will get close to you because you have a car Ooh. and then not pay you gas money because they don't have money. Like, it, it, like there are a few guys like that, that just every time I, I got with them, the only question in my head is like, what do you want? But I couldn't say that because I didn't want to be mean to them. Um, and they would yeah. take advantage of my generosity. Uh, so, so many, so many rides given so many rides given like like yeah it's the same thing with like going out on dates so like someone would only ask you to double with them because they don't have a car and you do mm -hmm. uh, so you know it whatever uh but yeah that was that was a pretty big waking up point for me was mm -hmm. all the things that i'd seen and had experienced were just too much yeah for me to handle like i could not have um i had a <laughs> oh geez i had like uh I had a pretty terrible mental breakdown, I think in 2017 at Disney world. Um, <laughs> that's Disney and looking world. back at it now. It, it's kind of hilarious, but it was really, really bad. Um, and it started reminding me that like, Oh, I am mentally unwell and I need to do something mm -hmm. about this. Um, but it wasn't, I had started going to therapy then, but it wasn't really taking it seriously. My therapist and I could only meet every two weeks he also wasn't, he was, he was an emergency recommendation um, because he, I like, I was living in Marietta at the time and his office was in Swanee. So mm -hmm. about an hour drive for me north. Um, but he was a licensed sex therapist, um, like a couple's sex therapist. So, but it was also, he was a, a Christian therapist. So that was the only that was basically the only thing that he had going for him was that he was a Christian therapist and he was an emergency, um, an emergency recommendation because I was doing so poorly, mm -hmm. you know, and then after finally meeting my new therapist who, you know, it's, it's, it's really great having someone who understands where you're coming from, uh, as opposed to just being like, ah, hey, we're both, both Brown, both people of color and <laughs> both Christians. So I guess it should all work out. But having someone who's actually invested in my well-being and care, and then once again who doesn't know me, has doesn't have an understanding of what of what our church is mm -hmm. or was and the ICOC is. Um, and then, you know, like slowly opening up the boxes where I've stuffed so much of my pain and personality and uh fear away into and start pulling things out of it. And it's really hard, it's really difficult, but being like, yeah, this. I should have done this a long time ago. I didn't realize how much this was actually hurting mm -hmm. me. Um, yeah. That's a hard thing to reconcile with too, knowing you were in something for too long. Um, the amount of time spent in something when you could have been, you know, I, I did a lot of like, I could have been doing all these other things in my life. 
but yet I was in this, you know. Yeah. I think it takes for one, it takes strength to be able to identify that something isn't healthy for you and to walk away from. Cause you know, f- to walk away from it is not just walking away from a church, you're walking away from an entire life. Yeah. And you know, I mean, so so like when when you left, I mean, where have you landed? I mean, with everything. Uh, um, I'm still trying to work that out. I mean, that is there's a part of me that feels a little bit agnostic because mm-hmm. you know, I do believe I do believe in a higher power. I definitely believe that something else is at work in this universe than mm-hmm. just human beings, because that would if it was just human beings, then that would affirm a lot of the bad things that I feel about myself. Uh <laughs> But I do like I do even higher power. Um, I want to believe that it's God. Or I want to believe that it's the Christian God and that, you know, I want to have a good relationship with him. But I need time to figure that out. Obviously, you need to work through a lot of the religious trauma because I have tried to go to other churches, tried to find uh, LGBTQ affirming churches. And all I could do when I sat in there was think about how it wasn't like the ICO scene. It made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't I can't walk into a church and not like I mean I've been I've been gone for so long and I'm still doing that. It's a huge wake up call. Like is, I can't believe I went into this church hoping to feel love and acceptance and all I'm doing is judging their service or judging the way that things are going because it's not like what I'm used to. Well, um I don't know if you've heard about a coffee shop Land of a Thousand Hills. <laughs> I used to live there, yeah. Yeah, well, I used to work for them for years, and it was right after I left the church, and I got one of the things that they, I don't know if they still do this, um, but uh, we would go on these marketing trips to Christian music festivals, and so like I got like, and we'd also market to churches in and around Atlanta, and so I got thrown from like one system to seeing everything. You know, and it was just, it was always so wild because I would be like, ooh, this is like, they're not supposed to say that or they're not supposed to do that. It was just, it's it like, it just, but that never goes away. Yeah. I you think, a, yeah, a brother and I, I think we were living together. We went to visit Passion City one time. Oh, that's tearing a sermon apart. Like, yeah. man, that makes no sense. This is really bad advice. That's not biblical. Yeah. Uh, I've been there twice serving them. I would set up their coffee for the backstage. <laughs> it's a it's, wild it's 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 wild things so wild. A, yeah uh, man um yeah time helps that's the yeah. biggest thing so i mean i really um i need to continue working through a lot of my religious trauma because it is so like you know what was it 28 years of my life being in this church that's a lot of time uh yeah of some pretty awful things to seek and sink into your being and into your soul. So I got to work on that. But I think if I wanted that, I have a, I have a very, very hard fear of, or a very intense fear of feeling like I'm back into a corner and that all I'd have left is to go back to the ICOC and feel trapped there. Mm-hmm. So something that I'm really interested in at some point is probably doing a little bit more exploring, but if, 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 if it lands like where, where I want it to land within the Christian faith, I would want to study the Bible all over again, different context. Uh, I like, obviously not the studies that the ICOC does. We've recognized that those are manipulative mm-hmm. and brainwashing, but um, I would want to have a, I would want to start a new relationship with God and a new understanding. Cause I have a lot of the facts here. 
a lot of the like spiritual facts running around in my head, but I have no connection to them. Um, like on a spiritual soul level, because all I was doing was trying to survive. Yeah. Never thriving in the church. So mm-hmm. um, I would want to, yeah, I'd want to, I'd want to, I'd want to start that again. I don't, I'm still mm-hmm. on the fence about it, but if, if that is where I want to go, if, if I want to come back to the Christian faith, which is something that, you know, that is uh, I'm, I'm on the fence about, uh, I would want to start afresh, like mm-hmm. from the bottom up. Yeah. There's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of people you can talk to. Yeah. Um. So what do you think, man? We were in a cult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I've I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, because we used to joke about that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh yeah, we're a cult because people called us uh, a cult. There was a website I think called Reveal.com that was basically yeah. a scathing overview of all the things that made us a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, that I never looked at, but like we, a few of our, uh, people who were studying the Bible on campus, uh, got scared away by that. Um, so I've been really cautious about wanting to call it that cause I didn't want to be disparaging to a bunch of people that I really love. Like there's a lot of good stuff that came out of it, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to separate the people from the institution and sometimes include the people in the institution because they have made it, 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 it what it is. Um, yeah. But it wasn't until like, I want to say last year when a couple of friends of mine were watching, um, started watching The Vow on HBO Max. Um, and, you know, they're like, oh, it's about this cult. It's about the Nexium cult. And like, they, were, they weren't giving a bunch of information, but they were like, it's super intense. It's a bit uncomfortable. You might need to take breaks while you're watching it because it's really creepy. Um, and I started watching it and I was desensitized to it, of course. I was like, this is the ICOC. This is like to a T with different flavor and different branding on it. This is the ICOC. And I was like, if they're calling that place a cult and this leader of that group is now in jail for a bunch of things that he did and helped perpetuate, then we can easily call the ICOC a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, we can easily see that in some cases there are people who should be in jail for my church who aren't because we swept a lot of uh, swept a lot of things under the rug especially a lot of the sexual abuse mm-hmm. um yeah. so yeah to me it is a cult i'm not saying everyone in it are like i'm not saying everyone in it deserves to be called cult members because there are a lot of people who are still there who are actively trying to have like a real relationship with god and being there like i think god has put them there to to help people truly learn how to have a relationship with God despite the institution itself. But yeah, yeah. it's a cult. Well, thank you, John, for coming on and sharing your story. And I don't take it lightly that you chose me to to put it out to the world. I'm humbled. I'm always humbled by it. And, you know, I love it. Stories connect, stories heal, and you're adding to that. So yeah, it's awesome. I appreciate the opportunity. It was great to reconnect with you when I saw that uh cuz I saw I saw the uh Aaron's post on the um mm-hmm. on the have you had your quiet time meme mm-hmm. page and I was like <laughs> I was like this guy's voice sounds really familiar. No. We looked yeah. at this podcast it said Rick Clements and I was like, "Oh, I know that man." I know. Uh, so yeah. no, I'm, I'm I'm really grateful for the platform you started and the conversation yeah. cuz it is 
like I said, it like listening to these has been difficult, but also super therapeutic because I don't feel like I'm crazy anymore. I know. And guess what? You're going to help someone else feeling a little less crazy. So that's a cool that's thing too. Hope. Yeah. Yeah, man. So <clears throat> thank you guys for listening. Um, if you were a part of the ICOC or know somebody that was and wants to come on and share their, your story, you can contact me through the balance mail PCAST at gmail.com or just find the balance mail podcast on Instagram. You can direct message me. So thank you guys for listening for your support and talk to you guys soon. Thank you guys. Bye. Bye.